1: This Crunch Time podcast, proudly brought to you by iPrimus. Make the right NBN choice with iPrimus, your NBN experts. Call 131 101. Welcome to Footiology with Rowan Connolly at Mark 5.
0: G'day everyone, welcome to episode 3 of the Footyology podcast, Roko here with his old sparring partner Mark Fine, good evening Finey. G'day Rocco. you know I still don't know what a podcast is but I think the <laughs> show's going alright. Well the reaction's been uh, so far so good I think and uh, always a pleasure to talk footy with your good self and we've got plenty to talk about in this episode, a massive round 20, uh, plenty of incident, plenty of drama. Lots of ramifications for the final eight and indeed the top four. Um, but we should get straight into it by talking about perhaps the biggest ramification out of the weekend actually didn't happen during a game. Well, it did happen during a game, but the I guess the uh, news about Joel Selwood's injury was probably delivered in a medical room somewhere on... Saturday afternoon, and uh,
2: huge ramifications for the Cats. It is. They are hopeful that he'll be back for the finals, but it's a syndemosis injury, and worst-case scenario is that he can't play again this year. Whatever it is, we know that in the run to the finals, on the back of the loss to Sydney, he's no longer going to be without a key player, and the way they played on Friday night suggests that that's going to make the run to the finals a long and torturous one. Well, there's good and bad precedents with that injury, isn't there?
0: I mean, Liber, Tony Liber, Tony Tom Liberatore got back last year in time for the first final, but um, Stephen Cornelio, I think, was out for 10 weeks. Josh and, Elliott uh, has
2: uh, had his season, you know, lost lost big chunks from syndemosis.
0: Yeah, but someone else who went down with it too It's just not coming to mind. But, um, yeah, the timing's impeccably bad, isn't it? Um, and, you know, like, gee, you get tired of talking about Geelong's dependence on Dangerfield and Selwood, but. It's real. It, it is not only real, I think it's it's almost exactly where it was this time last year. As good a season as, say, Mitch Duncan's had, yep. you still get the feeling that without one of those, uh, one, if not both those players, they're a considerably lesser sight.
2: Well, there was a way around it, but unfortunately, due to injury and form, it hasn't been able to take hold. And that is, if Motlop could have played much better football than he has this year and a Cockatoo stayed fit, then they had some real serious outside run and hit-up speed and tackling speed and pressure speed. That would have meant that uh, probably one of Dangerfield or Selwood could have covered and to get the ball to the outside. But, I mean, you just saw how important Cockatoo was. It was against Carlton a couple of weeks ago, but leading from the forward line, run-down tackles, and then he gets injured again. And Motlop hasn't been able to produce at all. So without outside threat, Blitzav's not great this year. It's all been big hard work inside, and that's done by two players, and one of them's not going to play for a few weeks.
0: I'll, I'll give you some numbers on... I mean, the obvious thing is, OK, so how have Geelong fared without Selwood? Well, here's the first thing. They haven't had two. Uh, over the last five seasons, they've played 112 games, including a season. He's played 110 yeah, well, there you go. And he missed one suspended uh, two seasons ago and, of course, that one with concussion about a month ago. And well, for what it's worth, those two games, they got a draw with GWS a month ago and the one against the Bulldogs in 2015 only won by eight points. But, you know, I drilled down on some numbers about contestable clearances. So Dangerfield averages 17.5 contested possessions a game, Selwood's 13.8. No other Geelong players even in double figures, and no other Geelong players in the AFL's top 40. For clearances, 7.2 for Dangerfield per game, 6.3 for Selwood, no other Cat gets over 5. And centre takeaways, which those two excel at, um, they average about 3 per game, the next best for the Cats is about 1.5. Now, the Cats have been going all right for contestable this year, which has been a weakness. But clearances, they're still in the lower half of the table, and most of the sides that they've got to meet in the finals are in the upper half in the rankings. So I think, as far And, you know, you expect more stoppages in finals, don't you? So I think the ramifications
2: from a numbers point of view are pretty real. Yeah, without him in the finals, they are, on those numbers, not going to. They could be a straight setter.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and, and even making top four. So they've got, a, they've got what, a six-point buffer, but uh, really tough last three games, haven't they? The Tigers, you know, no, no easy task oh, at all. It'll be tough
2: next week, and we wait, really, to see whether or not Geelong can produce against a team quite different to ones that they've been playing against with a small forward line. You see, Geelong's back line really is set up for a taller forward line. Yeah. You don't have that drop of the ball defender that Richmond could really profit with. Look at that defence. If Taylor plays back, you've got Taylor, Lonigan in defence. You've also got Buse and Colleg Jasney who are not that, that fleet of foot. Yeah. Mackey's a an exit clause and Henderson. Now gee, if the ball hits the deck they're gonna be they're gonna be panicking, because they're not going to be able to match that speed of Richmond's. Oh, yeah, they've got some problems coming up. Well, just on that top four scenario,
0: the, the three teams immediately behind them are Port, who are awful. Stuffed. Awful. Um, Sydney, who beat them, and the Bulldogs. Uh, Sydney's now, the comer. But they they have all got, I reckon, easier draws than the Cats. Uh, after Richmond, the Cats have got the uh, Collingwood, who have already beaten them this year, and GWS, who look pretty ominous in their win mm-hmm. over Melbourne. Yep. So, that's um, really – that that loss followed by the news about Selwood, it's been a really, really bad weekend for the Cats.
2: Sydney can grab top four. They're going to have to beat Adelaide in Adelaide, though. Mm. They've got two very winnable games at the Gamma, mm. uh, at the SCG.
0: Yeah, Carlton and Freo, I yeah, think. Yeah,
2: but uh – and they'll win those, really. But yeah. it's all going to come down maybe to a Friday night super clash against Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval. Well,
0: you mentioned Adelaide, and I do want to talk about them. And I've sort of been on the bandwagon a while. But they could not have looked any more impressive than they did today. And, you, look, I reckon they'll be they a bit They could
2: of, have if they kicked straight. They would have won by 120. Exactly.
0: I think there'll be a bit of a focus on ports deficiencies. But I, I sort of don't think that's fair because the Crows were just... Sensational, and you know the biggest testament to their mindset today. They got beaten by fifty in the contestable ball by the pies, which I think is a record. By quarter time in the in the showdown, they were up by twenty one already, and uh, you could just see how keen they were to make a statement, not just on the scoreboard but physically. And they just smashed power in every hard aspect of the game. And I thought particularly significant was the ruck battle, and Sam Jacobs won his third. Showdown medal. He just towed Paddy Ryder up.
2: You know, one of my concerns for Adelaide has been over the last couple of years the lack of new faces, the same rotation through the twenty first and twenty second player, McKay, Malera, Malera, McKay, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, up pops Hugh Greenwood. Now he's going to be a great player in the future, but that more importantly, he's a great player now, and he, I reckon, he had over ten tackles today. So here's a guy that provides some fresh. Energy, some goal-kicking power, some intercept power, and some tackling power. Just what they needed. That team did need a bit of refreshing down in the bottom six. Mm.
0: Yeah, he's a good size, isn't he? Yeah, he's, uh, yeah and the, the sport general sporting background has served him well. One of my theories with the crazies, people go, oh, what about the midfield, what about the midfield? Well... I think, you know, it certainly doesn't have the star power of others, but the Crouch brothers are incredibly consistent. I mean, Richie Douglas has had a really good season. They've got other blokes chipping in besides. But my theory is they only have to perhaps not even break even. As long as they don't get belted midfield and get enough of the ball and enough inside 50 entries, their forward line is considerably better than any other team in the competition for me. Like today, Jenkins, Walker and Betts kicked 11 between them you know, Betts week off, comes back, and he's just
2: cherry ripe. Highly but, underrated, Jenkins. He cops a lot of criticism, but yeah. he can really play.
0: And the guy I didn't mention there, because he didn't really get on the score sheet, but Tom Lynch. I mean, how... how the hard running
2: The super flanker.
0: So do you agree with that? I, I just think if, if they can, you know, they don't have to win the midfield battle, but as long as they can sort of be respectable enough midfield, I reckon they create enough chances yeah. to do a lot of damage.
2: But they do, as long as they don't have these um, obvious... Blind spots because that 50 minus contested possession count against Collingwood didn't come by accident. It happened after they would have had similarly poor numbers in the last half against Melbourne. And mm. they have, you know, they got. But North Melbourne kicked 10 goals to naught against them in the first quarter in Hobart. Yeah. They clearly have some disengaged points. They can't afford to have that in a final. Otherwise, it happens on preliminary final day, Mm -hmm. and then there's a grand final the premiership gone begging because I promise you there won't be any coming back from it against a top four team. That's
0: true, although you did say yourself on this very podcast last week that you saw the Cullen withdraw draw as a glass half full. A bit
2: more resolve there, a bit more steel, a bit more of an ability to fight when fight seemed the harder thing to do. So I wait. wait. What I think matter's not jot, but I look on with interest to see more of that because that is more finals type mentality than beating Port by 80 odd points. Yeah, and no, I
0: agree with that, but I, I do, for mine, the flag is theirs to lose. And that doesn't you know, it doesn't mean they're that much better a chance than anyone else, but I think they're in very good position to win it. I want to tell
2: you something and I never want you to forget these three words. What? Boak can't tag. <laughs> okay. He uh, started off trying to run with Rory Sloan. What happened? Did he just not like the idea of actually running as hard as Rory? Or Every minute the game went on, it became less of a hard tag and more of a thrashing.
0: It didn't look like a tag at any stage. No. Well, they gave um, up
2: with it about a quarter and a half in, but he certainly was running with him, you know, trying to get every stop, his hand's on, blah, blah, blah. But in the end, the ball starts moving, and Boak wasn't really up for it.
0: Now, I reckon the other top four team we need to talk about are the Tigers, because they just... Uh I wouldn't say under the radar, but they, they put Hawthorne away very efficiently today. They and just used
2: to read the script, Richmond.
0: Well, I, I love their consistency of effort. Like they've had two shockers and Adelaide early in the season and St Kilda a few weeks ago. Every other game. So they played 18 games and they've been highly respectable in 16 of them. Three lost by a total of what, 10 points. Yep. Um, another one by nine points or whatever. Um, they're as consistent as any team in the competition, and you know, perhaps I'm guilty of this too. You 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 undersell the contribution of the lesser
2: lights in that team. Oh yeah, that McIntosh is a good example. He's played back of centre for part of the season, but now he forms part of this defensive wall when the opposition has the ball. He's deceptively quick, so he runs down opponents. He can spoil in the air. And he's the perfect guy to kick the ball into 50 for them because he can't kick. And what they really want are balls that hit the ground. Now, you can't ask players to kick mongrels on purpose, but whenever he kicks it into the forward line, you've got the old chaos ball almost guaranteed because he's not a beautiful kick, and it suits them well.
0: And, yeah, look, I think they also play a game that, is probably suited to how we expect finals to be played. Yeah, that's right. They're don't de- they?
2: They're desperate. And they play the ball well off the ground. Which contested
0: will ma- ball. Which will make, if the ladder, if the top four stays the same order as it is now, they'd be playing Adelaide, wouldn't they, in week one. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a fascinating uh, contrast of philosophies about what wins premierships? And again, I've just said that Adelaide were great defensively, but their strongest suit is their attack and their scoring power. And the Tigers, it's just that hard at it, winning the clinches, isn't it? So it would be a great yeah. meeting of opposing philosophies almost.
2: They've got some tough decisions to make. They've been well served. After the St Kilda game, when um, Nankervis got killed in the ruck, they decided to employ the services of Soldo as a sort of um, ruck spoiler, nothing else. Mm. And do you go into finals with a Soldo? Because he's not going to give you a whole lot bar help Naismith get through the afternoon or evening. Griffiths might be available. Do you bring him into the team? Big risk at this stage. I'm yeah. saying it's a big departure from where they've been, but they've yeah. certainly, and I know Damien Hardwick has bemoaned the fact they haven't had a second tall forward mm. because of the sustainability of the small guys is questionable and the finals, not a great... Precedent for small forwards. Well, I going to say well in finals uh, and winning games. My
0: mind's just tick back. Who does their I mean, with Rewald in? Who who does their forward setup remind you of in terms of premiership teams of the AFL era? Just
2: of the AFL era. Um,
0: There's a clue in just.
2: Okay, so that goes back to the early nineties, um, Collingwood. Yep. I reckon they're very like
0: Collingwood 99. Yeah, well,
2: yeah, they are. Well, they really, you're right. Because Collingwood.
0: Well, they had Dacos, who yeah. almost kicked 100 in fairness, yeah. but Dacos and Gavin Brown, they didn't really have a. Gavin Krasiska was going forward and kicking goals. You yeah. know, they, uh, so it would be a remarkable, um, you know, they've just adapted really well. The last yeah. two weeks, you know, they've, one of, probably one of the smallest forward setups we've seen at AFL level for years, and they've people, won both games.
2: And people keep saying, oh, well, you know, they played Hawthorne, Hawthorne, would, off today and this team was off today and that team was off today. Mm. Well, there's a reason they're all off today is because they've been outpaced and I've seen them at the MCG two or three times this year, Richard, and watched them from behind the goals and get a real sense of a team that's very fit and very invested in running either for space or, more importantly, to p- apply pressure. Not many teams play the width of the MCG like that anymore. Yeah. And they could find a few teams out doing just that in the finals.
0: How crucial is that double chance for them? I'm just thinking from a a psychological perspective, because they've been in this position where they've been top four and lost it. and and then you know yeah. if they do lose it again, the uh, elimination final pressure on them will be huge, yeah. won't it? So yeah, it's probably more important for them than just about any other side. And that from that perspective, I agree with it. Now I know you wanted to bring up your Saints. Uh, oh, very just, good win today.
2: Yeah, just quickly was um look they have got a guy called Brandon White who has played his third game. Yeah, he's very promising. And I just thought um, the midfield that it needs it needs a star player to cap it off. Worked really well today. Jack Steele played very well. Um, Gresham gives them a lot up forward. Billings played a pretty good game as well. There's there's St Kilda crying out for a full forward. McCartan hopefully can come back and be that. Bruce is great, but he can't kick a goal. Another good player in the midfield, and St Kilda start to become a a pretty solid team. There are two or three players from being that, but it seems as though the complementary players, the sort of And the ones that you need to really go up the ladder, your rank-and-file players are starting to play pretty consistent footy.
0: You still don't think
2: they'll make the eight? No, they can't make the eight. No, their percentage is too poor, really, They have to win all three games, and they've got Melbourne and Richmond at the G, which is Mm. tough. So, no, I think they'll make the
0: eight. Let's flip the coin in that game. Has there ever been more universal disrespect for a potential finalist than for West Coast?
2: Yeah, I mean, they are. They get what they deserve. They've got a great full forward, mm. um, and they just they stand there ready to be to be attacked. You know, they're, they're guys. Well, they did it again
0: today. They got what fourteen points up with yeah. the first goal of the last quarter, yeah. and were clearly playing the better football. St Kilda were for the picking, and they just allowed the Saints to slam yeah. on three yeah. goals.
2: You know, you can't you can't have guys like Cripps and Lacra playing. In a game of football, and for four quarters, things will not go their way. And when the tide turns, you get zero out of them. They're still mm. running to the same positions they were when their team was getting turnovers and off to the races. They've got no no concept, Crips, of how to play when the ball's, you know, when it's backs to the wall type of stuff.
0: So you know, six of their nine losses, they under have. 10 no, no, I was, well, that too, but. Six or nine losses, they've either led or uh, been level at three-quarter time. I think teams
2: like coming at them because there's not a lot of...
0: Well, something clearly missed psychologically, isn't it? And does that come back to the coach? Because Adam Simpson is clearly under a lot of pressure now.
2: Yeah, I think it comes down to the list, you know. Mm. Where does he go to? You can't go to Josh Hill and Wellingham to solve the problem. Mm. I just don't think they've got enough players with enough go about them. Andrew Gaff's fantastic, except when the team needs him. So you've got him missing the eight? I've got him. I've got them. I had them before the year missing the eight. I've got him missing the eight, and I've got Adam Simpson being replaced. It's not really fair to Adam, but it's a it's a... It's typical of the town and the team to blame the coach, and certainly if he's not a West Australian. That
0: helps, yeah. Now, just quickly, for what it's worth, I've done my uh, revised top eight. I've still got Essendon missing out on percentage. I've got Melbourne sixth, uh, Bulldogs seventh, and Sydney coming eighth. That's dependent on Melbourne beating the Saints, which is by no means certain, Brisbane and Collingwood, so... Yeah, maybe I've invested a little too much faith in the Demons, but I think that last final eight spot might come down to Demons or Bombers, I reckon. Yep. Any thoughts? No, I think that's about right. But as uh, this year has proven time and time again, finally, all speculation, and it'll probably be completely up in the air again this time in seven days.
1: On Footyology, Hot or not?
0: Okay, you know how this works. Uh, three points each, hot
2: or not, you go first, Mark. I want to start with a knot and take you back to the end of March when a cricket-loving AFL-despising Kevin Mitchell Jr., curator of the Gabba, <laughs> panicked after the Adele concert and worried about the first test, which was not going to be till November the 23rd against England in the Ashes. Uh demanded a relifting of the centre wicket and basically made it impossible for the Brisbane Lions AFLW team to play the grand final where they deserve to play it, on their home ground in front of a projected 30,000 crowd. Had to go down to the Gold Coast and he had no remorse and basically almost was half-smiling in TV interviews about the need to get on his wagon and get things going for November 23rd. Well, in the time that's passed, um, again Brisbane are treated like second class citizens there and anybody that saw the game against the Bulldogs on Saturday night, that ground did not look good to me. Obviously, the grass seemed too long, preparations now for the Ashes, big lush centre wicket, but sandy patches here, the whole thing was packed, worked and I'm sure it'll be absolutely pristine. So this man that can create a Carpet-like surface, world-class for a test match, couldn't care less about football. I just want to remind the Gabba that without football, you've got barely any paying paying gigs throughout the year. So your multicoloured seats, which look like people sometimes, might actually need to have some people in it. Bad work, Kevin Mitchell Jr. Good spray. Good
0: spray. Well, I'm going to be positive to start. My uh, I've got a hot, and it's to Anthony McDonald, Tip and Wooty. And uh, look, he's he's been erratic. You know, there are games where he's a bit invisible, but uh, he got them over the he got SNI over the line against Carlton. Absolutely no question about it. He's the new sorrioli for me, just in terms of the influence he has on a game with relatively few touches. Now, when I say relatively few. He had 16, I think, against the Blues and about five tackles, kicked three goals. Um, but he was the man who straightened Eston up when they were all at sea, looking for all the world like they're going to have another infamous loss to Galton. Kicked two of the last three goals, you know, that sprint from the centre line to kick the one that clinched it. But uh, even the snap that got him within a kick where he beat took uh, a sort of ball from midair and then beat two Carlton opponents, snapped it from the goal square. Fantastic goal in the uh, first quarter when he sort of kept the ball in, paddled it around the boundary line and then kicked a the goal. He's just an excitement machine. and I actually sat in the outer for the you know, second time in ages on Saturday and you could just feel the excitement of the Essendon fans any time he got near the ball. He's he's just a wonderful player and he's going to get better and better and um, – all power to him. I, I think uh, there, there wouldn't be many people who didn't enjoy watching him as much as any player in the competition, I reckon.
2: Powerful, brilliant, everything you said. You know, credit to a Carlton player who I actually didn't rate till yesterday. Could be quite good coming off the half-back line. Pickett from GWS. Oh, I chased him down, And he ran yeah. him down, but he did a couple of really good things running at the ball off the back line. So Yeah, yeah it was a no, exciting well, credit, moment.
0: Yeah, credit to him. He's the only player I've seen chase Tipper down, so well done. You're up.
2: I'm going to go for a hot, and it looks like football's in for another brilliant foreign rabbit. What? Exactly. Well, if you know your French, you'll know that the word for rabbit is lapin, or lapin, and Nigel Lapin was a superstar for Brisbane back in their triple premiership era. Well, there is an Italian rabbit. The Italian word for rabbit is coniglio. Ah, okay. So he's no Cornelio or... Sometimes Caniglio, he's no rabbit. He's come back two games from a long time off with syndemosis. Mm. He's been best on ground in both. I mean, you know, Josh Kelly is a super player. and Was great again yesterday, but I think he ran second to Caniglio. Just shows what sort of talent they've got at their fingertips. And if it all gets together, watch out.
0: You know, you know how good it is when you see uh, a kid at a really early stage, and you think, "Oh, this kid's special," and you like sort of flying him through. I saw Cornelio play in, um, a premiership with Swan Districts, so I think at the age of 16. Uh, might have been about 2010. Uh, does that make, does that add up? What would he be now? 20? Yeah, I think yeah, that's about right. 22. Yeah. And a huge influence in that. Um, and yeah, look, he's, he's a star, isn't he? I yep. mean, he's hard when he needs to be. He's, that's it. The thing s- is he's hard. He- yeah. But silky as well. Yeah. It's a great mix, isn't it? No, yep. good call. He's, a uh, huge, um, A huge barometer of the Giants' chances of winning the flag, I reckon. Uh, All right, I've got a knot. Um, Still on that carlton Essendon game. I don't like doing this particularly, but Job Watson. I think retirement's calling, Job. uh, He's struggled all year with his decision-making. Struggled with the pace of the game. uh, Never been a strong suit, but... Now his ball getting ability seems to be drying up. He, 11 possessions he had in that game, it's his lower return from job as I can remember since the infancy of his career and again he
2: had to kick, kick a goal last quarter. There was like an audible groan, he kicked it just on the full.
0: Yeah, we had one in the second quarter too where he he tried to check side it rather than kick on his non-preferred, which I thought was fairly telling. 11 possessions, only two of them kicks. And look, you know, they've tried him up forward in in pinch hitting roles and that hasn't really worked. And I just hope that he – look, and he's a pretty intelligent guy. I reckon he'd be seeing this himself and I think he'd know that time is up. But hopefully he does know that because if he doesn't, I think Essendon really has no alternative but to wind it
2: up for him. Yeah, pity. Last one from you. uh, Not hot is the Gold Coast for sporting clubs. We've heard it before but – Sharply in focus on the weekend as Gold Coast travel to Fremantle and lose another game. Their season winds down ignominiously, waiting for changes on and off field. At the same time, remember this is the region, the Gold Coast, that has claimed countless rugby league teams, the Brisbane Bears, basketball teams I couldn't mention even if I wanted to, probably a women's lacrosse team (laughs) if I cared to do the research. But... Trugo Never popular up there. There was... On the weekend, not only did Gold Coast lose, but the Gold Coast Titans hosted Brisbane in the NRL and lost 0 fifty four and there are parallels because they've got Jared Haynes big headline you know headline act get people interested in rugby league again Ablett at Gold Coast Suns and they're both third bottom you know which is quite interesting because it's they're not so bereft and broken. And, dispirited and gone that they're bottom they're actually propped up by enough outside money to get them to third bottom and no higher it's no place for a sporting club gold coast
0: it's never really shed the holiday destination tag has it
2: and look people will point out now gold coast is no longer that it's a it's a it's a
0: thriving metropolis but
2: but it's also it's it's a regional area that links up to brisbane through logan and you know it's got its own million person population and 90% of the people there are not transient and they don't wear white shoes and they're not motorbike enthusiasts in inverted commas. They're just normal mums and and pops. Well, if they are, they're not interested in sporting clubs.
0: (laughs) No. No, I suspect the beach still has a fairly strong call for a lot of them. All right, I'm going to finish this off, and it's with a hot, and we touched on this before, but the Tigers. um, Just been a terrific year. Look, I'm happy to put my hand up here. I didn't rate them overly. Um, I'm still not sure I, I think they can win the flag, but why can't they win the flag? It looks like they're going to finish top four. Um, you know, they've pushed just about every decent team or beaten them, uh, incredibly consistent, as consistent as any side going around. Um, and as we said before, that top four finish is crucial, but I I really hope they hang on to it because Richmond with a double chance, I think um, would be something else. And you can, you know, the hordes are stirring You know what it was like back in the 70s when they all came in on the Glen Waverley line with their Peter Welsh duffel coats. And um, it's been so long. And, uh, you know, one of the longest-suffering supporter bases in the league. And they've worked hard for this. And, you know, three elimination finals, that could have been the... I guess that could have been the uh, end of the Hardwick era almost. But they've come again. And uh, full credit to them. And I really hope they have a great finals campaign
2: because footy is a lot better with the Tigers up and about. They've got an army of supporters, as you pointed out, and I reckon they're they're just holding back on talk back and after the game. game, I don't think that Richmond have convinced even their own supporters that they are a serious premiership hope, but look at the numbers and they're in the mix and in the mix is good enough to be a hope.
0: Well, the five magic words that go hand in hand with a premiership Uh, campaigner, keep the lid on it.
1: On footyology, talking top 22s.
0: Okay, time now for our rolling All-Australian team. We are talking top 22s and I'm just going to quickly finally read out last week's the team as of round 19 from the back line. Jeremy Howe, Alex Rance, Rory Laird from halfback, Michael Hibbard, Michael Hurley, Sam Doherty. Centers were Josh Kelly, Dustin Martin, Marcus Bontempelli. Half forward line, Robbie Gray, Lance Franklin, Gary Ablett. Full forward line, Eddie Betts, Ben Brown, Jeremy Cameron. The Ruck division, Paddy Ryder, Paddy Dangerfield and Tom Mitchell. Interchange, Rory Sloan, Joel Selwood, Matt Crouch, Clayton Oliver. So, round is done and dusted. Where do we stand with that 22?
2: I think the back line's pretty solid. No problems with Howard Rance, Doherty Laird. Doherty was great. Yep,
0: uh, my- you had a, you had a question mark on Michael Hurley. Uh, yeah, yeah um, thought he was much better against the boys. Yeah, so you're you're okay with him? Yeah, staying the there? oldest.
2: Nobody's demanding the spot off him at the moment.
0: Yep, any defenders looking? A well, bit look, shaky? Michael
2: Hibbard only just snuck into the team.
0: We just got him in last week,
2: yeah, and he was um, you know besieged on the weekend GWS, and defensively he still went he went ball hunting a bit. Now. After six to eight weeks, Dylan Roberton was in most people's um, All-Australian team. He'd had a great start to the season. And you know what? His output's been pretty good since then. St Kilda's form has wavered, but he's remained pretty steadfast. Well, he was better than steadfast against the West Coast Eagles because without his one-on-one marking and reading of the game, West Coast actually win that game. I think Roberton starts to threaten Hibbard. We'll keep a watch on that. Leave Hibbard there, but Roberton on his ginger.
0: He's been incredibly consistent, has he? You know, the, the, hasn't he? The one thing he might have over Hibbert is just uh, durability, because Hibbert missed a reasonable chunk at the yeah, start of the right. year, didn't he? So, yeah, I guess. Well, that's the whole concept, isn't it? We're talking about twenty-two rounds; it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, so, a couple of potential changes I'd like to throw. How, up. how
2: about across the middle? They've only just further reinforced their brilliance, Kelly, Martin, Kelly and Martin, Martin Bontem- and Bontepelli. Yeah, no, no agreed, there. agreed.
0: Um, I've got a few potential changes to the Ford mix though, funnily enough. Um, yep. Buddy, you know, as much as you wouldn't want Buddy out of your 22, last couple of weeks have well, been two great.
2: Bad, two bad weeks.
0: Yeah. And the guy who really impressed me in the showdown, another one, is the Adelaide Tom Lynch. Geez, he's a hard worker. He deserves to be
2: in an All-Australian 22 because he's a true half-forward flanker and I mean, he just plays the role beautifully.
0: hmm yeah, great work rate, doesn't have to kick goals because he's got those other tall forwards doing the job, so uh, he, he can play almost as a tall midfielder. Yeah, great endurance, I still scratch my head about how he he couldn't get a game at St Kilda. Oh,
2: well, Ross Lyon had no faith in him and any time he did play he knew he was one mistake from being dropped, so his handful of games were nervous and error-ridden.
0: Now, the other um, the other change I think I've got to bite the bullet and suggest is Ben Brown out through no fault of his own, it's got to be said. And we, I hope if you're listening, Ben, all the best to you, mate. I hope you're okay. But Josh Kennedy, I mean, the only reason he wasn't there in the first place. He's the, the, four, best, four, four, he's the yeah. best four forward in the world. Well, clonk. he'd missed games, that was all. He'd played yeah. about three or four fewer games than the others. But he's come back into that side and been fantastic. Five goals again. He's in. Against the Saints in a losing team, and uh, I think his goals per game average is significantly better than those around him on the goal kicking chart. So you're happy with that, yeah, Kennedy? Yeah, he's in. the full forward. What about? And I'm just going to throw this one up. Jeremy Cameron. uh he hasn't
2: played for a while. Well,
0: that that counts against him, and uh, I'm not trying to sort of. Show allegiances here, but I reckon Joey Danaher.
2: Yeah, look, Danaher would have been unlucky not to have been in last week. He didn't actually necessarily win his win his battle this week. No, he, kept, he didn't. But he, he did three more, and he just keeps kicking and scoring and contributing. And he goes in in front of Cameron. Sorry, mm.
0: yeah, he that was interesting duel on Liam Jones, and uh, full credit to Liam Jones. He was terrific after quarter time. But Danaher's first quarter was big. And he also kicked a really important goal in the. the last, uh,
2: was it the last, last or third quarter? quarter I no, think. in the last quarter. Was it the last quarter? Yeah, yeah. Jones didn't get to the contest, and he kicked one from. Oh, it would have been fifty meters out. It was, the, it was the only set shot that he kicked a goal with.
0: Yeah, so like he can be down for a while and still be a threat, which I think is important. So you're happy with Dana in for yep, Cameron yeah, for yeah. this week? Um, one more I wanted to throw up was uh, not a change to the twenty-two, but a change to the eighteen. I'm a big Matt Crouch fan. Well, hang on. Um, How about
2: the ruck of Paddy Ryder? I mean, he goes up against Sam Jacobs and gets yeah. soundly beaten. Well, mm-hmm. I'd put Sam ahead of, of Paddy. Well, I didn't want
0: to go overboard on the Adelaide front. But, yeah, look, I mean, if you're talking about all Australian ruckmen, and we were happy with Ryder, but, you know, there's no bigger test of one candidate versus well, went another head to head. than head-to-head. Head, and Jacobs toweled him up, didn't he? Yep. Yeah, I'm happy with that. I Jacob's in my mid-year all Australian team. So, he's obviously That's
2: a great year.
0: Not far off. Okay, so Paddy, you're uh sorry Paddy, s- sorry Paddy, but uh, you going to have to pull out a big one next week. So, as will about 21 of your teammates. So, Jacob's for Ryder. Yeah, i just reckon Matt Crouch potentially into the 18 for perhaps Gary Ablett. You see, I thought the same for his teammate Rory Sloan. Yeah, well, they were both great. They were probably those two and Jacobs were arguably their three best players today. I reckon. So uh, look, we might leave that one leave that one in the locker for the moment, but have it up our sleeve. So, yeah, fair enough. so our changes then we've decided, or we are in the process of deciding, we'll go uh, Adelaide Tom Lynch in for Lance Franklin at centre half forward. Yep. Josh Kennedy at full forward in for Ben Brown. Joe Danaher in on a, in a forward pocket for Jeremy Cameron. And perhaps the big one, the uh, headline here, Sam Jacobs, back into the number one ruck berth at the expense of Paddy Ryder. So four changes to our 22 this week. You happy with that?
2: Yeah, and there's plenty of crows in the team, which is... <clears throat> Indicative of, their, indicative of their clear spot on top.
0: Absolutely. So uh, everyone listening, see what you think of that 22. It'll be up on the Footyology website uh, underneath this podcast. Please leave a comment. Uh, i trying to field all the comments on the site. So any criticisms, any suggestions you have for inclusion in Miss 22 or people who shouldn't be there, drop us a comment at footyology.com.au. We'll do our best to respond. Okay, we'll get back to this segment next week. Time to move on.
1: On Footiology, Media Watch.
0: Okay, uh, now you suggested this Media Watch segment finding, and I was a little bit anxious about it, to be honest, but it's working out very well, and it's attracting a lot of interest from people, and uh, I think there's a feeling I can be a little less shackled to a particular position now I'm an independent Operator of sorts And you've always operated independently So we're going to speak our mind about Things football media So look, one thing I wanted to bring up this week Because it, it's topical uh, I was very keen On my footyology site To keep doing match reports I love writing match reports uh, I love reading match reports I think there's nothing better than watching your team win a game And then reading an account of Not just how it unfolded, but why it unfolded Um and I, I wrote one about the Essendon-Carlton game, which seemed to be pretty well received. And a couple of people got onto me on social media and said, why don't the major newspapers write match reports like this anymore? And it's a very interesting question. Now, this is basically the position. The Herald Sun have abandoned match reports. They are told now their reporters that games have to pick one specific aspect out of a game and write on that. The age, uh, I fought a very vigorous campaign over a number of years to preserve match reports. Every year, we'd have our pre-season footy meeting and some bright spark would go, oh, let's get rid of match reports. They're daggy. And uh, I'd fight, 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 and we'd preserve them. So the age persists with them. Unfortunately, they're very compromised by deadline pressures. So... It's hard for the people doing the age match reports to be able to sit back and sort of look at a game in its totality. They often have to write a lot of it as the match is going. I now have the luxury of not having to do that. and Just in, I think I've done four of them now, it's been an absolute bonus because you just sit back with a little bit of time to reflect on the whole game and you don't get things out of proportion to their importance to the context of the game. And I think it enables you to, you're not just writing about what happened in a game. This guy kicked a goal, then that guy kicked a goal. You're talking about how the game flowed, how the, uh, I guess, the pendulum of power swung between the two teams, a critical moment that might have been a turning point, all those things, they all go into a good match report. Now, the argument against them is people say, well, why do you need to read a match report when you can? everyone can watch the game on TV, you can discuss it with your mates on social media? Well, you can discuss something as it happens in 140 characters. Yes, you can watch the game, but don't you want to be able to sit back and have a look at something post the event happening and say, well, what did this mean? Why did this team win? Why did this team lose? What were the key elements of the game? Why did this guy have a great game? Why did this guy have a bad game? And I think if you didn't have match reports, a lot of that stuff would be lost because the never-ending churn of the media cycle finally means that, you know, like five minutes after a game's finished, people are moving on to the next one. So, I don't know. I'm Maybe I, I'm a dinosaur in my media consumption habits but I love writing match reports. Nothing's more satisfying than being able to capture the essence of a game and uh, I'm going to keep doing them on the site. Now, wh- I'm putting myself on the, out on a limb here. How do you feel about match reports?
2: Oh, I think they're great. Look, I really do. First of all, you touched on One of the great elements of the match report, and that is when your team wins, you want to buy, you want to get the newspapers and read it. It's like running down the newsagent to get the Sporting Globe. Yeah, and, (laughs) and it's another form of consuming the game, and it is when written well, elegant prose satisfies and satiates different senses to watching the game or being at the game or listening to the game. It's a permanent record, so it's there if online to go back and look at. And as much as games can be watched and people might think we don't need match reports, nobody watches nine games a weekend, or very few people do. Mm -hmm. I'd probably go closer than most. Mm. And if you want to get a sense of nine games, read the match reports of nine games. Yeah. It'll give you... I I guarantee you, people... A lot of people who love their football and would want to be well-versed with all 18 clubs wouldn't be able to tell you a lot about Frio this year or Gold Coast... But if they read every match report, they would be able to tell you a fair give you a fair thumbnail sketch of how they've gone and who's playing well for the year. I'll give you
0: an example here from another sport of why match reports in any sport are important. I don't know why I just thought back to this, but the tide test, nineteen uh when was it? End of nineteen sixty or 60-61, yep. Australia West Indies, at the Gabba. Um, if it weren't for a written match report of that event, what would we know about it? Say cricket was being covered then, as some people want football to be covered now. Uh, how would you know about what happened in the tie test, how it unfolded, the sequence of Wes Hall's final over and the wickets that fell and the runs that were scored? So apply that to football now. Say so 20 years time from now, if you're a Bulldog fan, you want to read about the famous 2016 premiership. Yes, you can watch the grand final. But what if you want to read something about how that game panned out? There'd be nothing to read. You'd be reading preview, 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 and then a day after, what it all meant. What about how we actually won the flag?
2: Oh, look, I, I, I'm—I've had an enormous pleasure this year reading Max reports from the 1880s. Oh, really? And they're vivid and real, and take you back to the actual day.
0: Were they written by a non diplume you know, Kickeroo or Spyglass
2: and <laughs> you know, Watchtower and
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the prose is rather. Uh, did you find the pros of the eighteen eighties more elegant? Oh, it's, elegant?
2: Mag- oh, it's, it's magnificent. I
0: know. always like the 1970s sporting globe style. Uh, Brit to Tottenham was good football. Yeah,
2: yeah. This was <laughs> far more eloquent back in the day, far more floral, and it was uh, things like um, O'Reilly took O'Reilly took a, a commanding pose in the game, soon to be <laughs> chopped down to size by of all men, small boy Tetgar. <laughs> yeah, very good. You know, they, they were very much um invested in the physical battle. I mean, that football was vibrant and new because it was on-field physicality and that was very much a feature of their match reviews. Well, uh, I'd, look, I just brought that
0: up because I, I thought it was topical and I, I did enjoy writing that essendon Carlton match report. Not just because the Bombers won, but because it was an exciting finish, and I think it was a game which twisted and turned, and it lent itself to a, a, a decent account of of why that happened. So, um, look, give us your thoughts on that. I'm very interested to hear what uh, you people out there think about match reports. Maybe we are dinosaurs here, but uh, we both uh, we both are very much. On the side of uh, Please preserve the match report
2: uh, It's Did the wh- one that I remember From 1880s I can't remember the name Of the player But his afternoon Of free-spirited Gambolling Was brought to a oh. sudden close By some underhanded thuggery Oh really Really <laughs> You can just imagine A guy just running And bouncing <laughs> yeah. On the wing And all of a sudden Some guys just Clobbered him
0: yeah, When you mention gambling I think of like An under-12s game Where one side's not scoring And the full forward Up the other end Sort of swinging Around the goalpost <laughs> Or something Yeah <laughs> Well, right, what's caught your eye in a media sense this week?
2: Um, this is an ongoing issue, but it it now becomes almost it's um, sickening, quite frankly. Is sickening, yeah. Uh, the post match press conference has become simply <laughs> a series of Dorothy Dix's questions that the coach can answer with a smile on his face. You must be happy with the development of blah blah, or wasn't it great this week that you know if they won or if things didn't go so well, they'll still pick out. It was a good effort in the ruck by maybe, did you see the incident, you know, that's yeah. about to come to the match review panel? Unless oh, it was, the, headline,
0: the headline
2: search, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless it was Mark Stevens trying to aggravate a headline out of Mick Malthouse. Yeah. There hasn't been very little purpose to most of the questions asked in, in post-match press conferences. Now, I take
0: great affront at this, Mark, because you know I like going to the press conference, particularly the Friday night ones where I get to do my musical T-shirt thing. Yep. I had midnight oil, head injuries, already to go at Geelong on Friday night, but it was too bloody cold to take my windshield off and I didn't go. But um, well, I'd like to think some of us sort of ask more than Dorothy Dix's at them.
2: Do you find when you're in there that most of the questions are just... Um, Leading yeah, or... Just, just- whether or not the journo's are scared of being rebuked like they were in the old days by Dennis Pagan and Sheeds and yeah. and that or, or they just want to get yeah that's yeah good yeah you know approbation by a smiling response but there's very few tough questions asked
0: no that's true and you know uh, that's a combination of things to me one and we'll get onto this in a, uh, a future uh media watch segment trust me but um a lot of senior football writers don't actually cover games anymore you know, like the yeah, yeah. the most identifiable names. They're not at those press conferences because well, right. they that's don't cover
2: games. Yeah, that's the problem. Um,
0: and look, this I share press boxes with a lot of really talented writers, but some of them are quite young and inexperienced. So I guess that's part of it. So maybe there's a bit of trepidation about being seen to challenge a coach. But I think a lot of it also is brought on by sort of deadline pressures and this thing about we're not as interested in the match and why it unfolded the way it did as the news elements to come out of the match, which means you can have the greatest game of all time, but if there's a Paddy Dangerfield slash Matty Cruiser type incident. A sound grabs. Just a sound a grabs. Yeah, sound grabs. And, um, you know, it's not just print. Electronic media does it too. But it's sad, isn't it? Because if you really want to, um, you know, sort of hear a coach drill down into why a result happened, you're not going to hear much that sort of gives sheds much light on it, are you? No. So so how do do we get around that, do you think?
2: Oh, we don't. We're so far down the track of uh, happy, smiley, easy questions at press conferences that, you know, when somebody asks something that puts a coach offside, they can get pretty rude and flippant answers. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. No, it's true. I mean, look, easy to denigrate.
0: I can, I can do the back in my day thing here because, I mean, it's all very civilised now. We're in a room, they're behind a desk. You know, we used to do the presses in tiny little visitors' rooms at Victoria Park or whatever. You'd have supporters crowded around you, openly baiting you. In fact, the, um, famously after the Nicky Winmar game at Collingwood, where Col- uh, St Kilda won their first game at Collingwood for 17 years. We had to do that presser with Kenny Sheldon in the race because the visitors' rooms were too crowded. And I kid you not, we're doing it in the Cyclone wire race. And there's Collingwood supporters leaning over the race, gobbing on us while we're asking Kenny Sheldon questions. There you go. Now, I just want to raise another one quickly. Um, I've noticed the last couple of weeks, the papers particularly, absolutely full of trade speculation. Um, And I've got to say, it's becoming a bit of a bugbear of mine. The season's still got two months to run. It's been a gripping season. We've got three rounds left now. We've got a great final series ahead of us. Why are people so reluctant to talk about that? Or, or, you know, even, okay, I know there's a lot of speculation, but why not speculate speculate about the games coming up rather than where someone might be playing six months or nine months Down the track. Have you noticed the upping
2: in the ante there? Whether it's no match reports or questions that mean nothing at press conferences or focusing on trade talk in the papers, we are missing the moment in football. It seems as though that journalists, print journalists and other journalists are not capable of extrapolating on what is happening currently and really selling the big story, which is we've got this great even season, anything can happen here are the permutations it's as though they're programmed to look farther afield because actually looking directly at the game the the glare is too bright for them they're not capable of doing it
0: yeah i tell you i'm i'm going to yeah i'm going to reveal more in this segment than i wanted to i can tell but a real turning point i reckon was 2012 i'll never forget this because we had what I consider to be one of the best couple of Grand Finals of all time between Sydney and Hawthorne. Absolute classic game. Not 48 hours after the final sign of that game, the back page of the paper was about Brendan Goddard declaring that he was leaving St Kilda to go to Essendon. Big story, I get it. But one of the epic Grand Finals had just been played, and I used to love that week after a Grand Final where all the... Everything
2: dissected, every battle, every... And, ever.
0: and little sort of side stories from the game emerging too. Yeah. Like going back to 89, Hawthorne and Geelong, it was only sort of halfway through the next week when you realised the full physical toll that game had taken on both sides. Yep. something like 13 players ended up in hospital or something, yep. you know. Yep. And all those stories emerged over the next week. And now you, d- you barely have time to breathe and yep. say, okay, what a season. This is how it was won before you're
2: worrying about the next season. It really annoys the crap out of me. I've got to tell it I guess selling hope to fans of 17 clubs sells more papers than reliving the glories of one.
0: And this is where I'm at odds with some of my colleagues, Finny, and I'm, I'm sort of talking out of school here, but what the hell? I, wrote a, I was so annoyed by that in 2012 that after a few weeks off, I came back and wrote a column about that and saying, what a shame that we can't sort of soak up what was one of the great grand finals of all time. And I had a couple of colleagues really filthy on me for ages about that feeling like I'd sold them out and I was having a shot at them publicly. And I actually wasn't. I was just sort of bemoaning that general philosophical trend towards, you know, worrying about what's six months down the track rather than worrying about the whole point of it all, which is a grand final and a team winning a premiership.
2: You make a good case. I can't argue against it.
0: I'm beginning to enjoy this segment a lot more, I've got to say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) On Footyology, Robco and Finney's rant
0: Okay, it's go off your crew at time, Finey, the rant off, most popular part of the show, I believe, so I'm led to believe, and uh yeah, I've definitely got something I want to get off my chest this week. Are you suitably fired up? I'm always fired up, Rohan. Okay, well, I'm going to go first this week. I demand to go first, and I want you to count me in immediately. A three-two rant away. I'm not happy with AFL, I'm pouring Finey. Okay, I know what you're thinking, this is pretty low-hanging fruit. Depends what the criticisms are, though. And unlike a lot of the bleating that goes on, I've actually got a specific area of complaint. Well, two, actually, but first things first. Holding the ball. Does it actually exist anymore? Now, I know you've got to protect the guy with the ball, but you don't have to put him under witness protection, check on his welfare every five seconds and end up in a highly inappropriate relationship with him. That's what it feels like the umps are doing at the moment. Honestly, I reckon on the weekend I saw about half a dozen guys hang on to the ball so long I thought they were giving birth to it. Even elephants don't have that long a gestation period. Once upon a time, if you were nabbed in possession and swung around, you were gone, no questions asked. These days, blokes aren't just doing 360s or even 720s. They're like those kids on the roundabout at the playground. I swear the only reason they end up letting go is because they're too bloody dizzy to give off a handball. No wonder guys keep getting slammed head first into the turf in tackles. Concussion's about the only way you can dispossess someone at the moment unless you want to hang on for five minutes, undergo mediation and counselling, and still end up not getting your fair share of the assets, i.e. the ball. Maybe that's influencing my second port on umpires, I'll give you that. But have you checked the grey and fluoro green tracksuits they're wearing now? They've got these fluoro green bits on the lower leg that make them look like power rangers. All that's missing when the emergency ump runs out to break up a fight is a crappy looking plastic gun and some bad acting. It happened when I was doing the boundaries along on Friday night. I could have sworn I heard the dozen officials on the bench they have looking after them burst into a chorus of Go go AFL umps! Too much theatre, guys. Too much attention-seeking. And not enough rewarding of the tackle. Yeah, tackle. You know, it's that thing where a player wraps up an opponent with a ball. Not the stuff you're trying to impress your umpiring mates with in the showers. Mm. Oh, no, I can see I've got you offside because mm. you're an umpire. Oh, I've offended the brotherhood. Mm. All right, well, I we don't have to worry about that now because I know you'll be doing your rant about something completely mm. different. All right, do you want me to count you in? Yeah, I do. Okay. He said with trepidation. Okay, three, two,
2: one, rant. Oh, congratulations, Rowan, to be the millionth person this weekend to put shit on umpires. Group think at its very worst. Now, let me tell you, the lack of respect for umpires is absolutely endemic. I took up umpiring six years ago and I am staggered at the lack of respect from players, coaches, supporters. I get abused by casual Bypassers walking their dog not even going to the football they just turn around see an umpire making a decision and call out you bloody mindless maggot there is no respect for umpires anywhere i was listening to a match on the weekend on radio and a decision was made by the non-controlling umpire so the commentator said who is the controlling umpire at which point both special comments men said at exactly the same time jinx None of them. And then burst out laughing that they both came up with that lack of respectful comment at exactly the same time. Whether it's Luke Darcy or Wayne Carey sucking up the back passage of some player at the expense of an umpire, whether it's Joe Schmo in the outer or Paddy Dangerfield going for the ball, it's always no respect the umpires. I'll tell you what. Rugby union is played by either private school 'er ne'er-do-wells or nightclub bouncers. It's hardly the cross-section of vital Australia. But at least in rugby union, they have the respect for the referee or the umpire, whatever the man in charge is called, to call him sir, never question the decision, and understand that he's impartial, doing the best he can at the job, and the fact that he's probably an international, the best at it. I mean, what do people think? AFL umpires are the best available. Haven't they worked out that it must be a bloody hard game to officiate if everybody always thinks the umpire's wrong? Well, I'll tell you this. Here's the alternative of not having umpires. No football. End discussion.
0: That's actually the most serious rant I've ever heard you do. I didn't mean to fire you up, but I did. I I still know why you did that, though. You just want one of those fluoro green track search things, don't you? I've got a top. Okay, time's just about up for the Footyology Podcast episode number three. hope you enjoyed it, and I know you're expecting us to finish with uh, musical flavour, and we're not going to let you down. And fortunately, I'm not going to subject you to my singing this week. And that's because, Finey, you have an exciting new musical contribution to bestow upon us.
2: Yeah, I do. Being a big St Kilda fan, Nick ReWalt announced his retirement last week. And I think all St Kilda fans are looking personally to ways to mark what will be an emotional three or four weeks. Well, with the help of Chris Tyler, a great producer here, uh, I grabbed a song called Stole the Show by James Parsons and a... Norwegian DJ outfit called Kygo It's a great retirement song When you hear the words Add a little bit of audio of Nick And I think we've got a keeper So for the first time ever I was going to play it on SEN In the next week or so But Footiology is where we launched it Here is And it'll be available on the website I think uh, Absolutely Footyology.com.au So you just go to the web Well you probably are there But have a look around the website If you want to hear it again But here it is as part of Footyology podcast We stole the show and the tribute to Nick Riewoldt. Great stuff. Let's have a listen. We'll see you next week.
0: I'd like to announce my retirement from football effective at the end of uh, the 2017 season.
1: Darling, darling, we'll turn the lights back on now. We're watching, watching as the credits all roll down. Crying, crying. No, we're playing to a full house. House. Fisher. The old one, two. Back to Rewell. Good build here by the Saints. Chips it. Gary. Wonderful pick by Nick. Our debut was a masterpiece, but indeed, boy, you and me know the show. It came. to have it all, but now's our curtain call, so hold for the plot. Oh, 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 and wave out to the ground. Stolen away initially by a rocklet, but he couldn't control eye either, Daltano. He's got it again, slipped over, leads it back, opportunity for Harvey, goes down to Wartarford, look out! Oh, rebound, remarkable! We start the show. And Riewoldt is running. He is charging into the 4.50. He's got May just a foot or two behind him. It fell back for Nick Riewoldt. Oh, that's a brilliant goal for Nick Riewoldt. Nothing but Nick. Nick at his best. Riewoldt puts it through. it down, Cooney lost it, Jones, Del Santo, look out, revolt lurking, still couldn't hang on, it's ball, it's over, it's it's unbelievable. but the band plays on now, we're crying, crying, so let the velvet all roll down. Those feelings want to blame while we'll roses filled the stage and the thrill. Kenzie went again, got the hand pass away. That was clever. Where's Rewald? There's Rewald, and there's the record. There's his record 19 for number eight. He's got it. Good. What a guy. We used to have it all, but now.
0: got to do something I love, play a sport I love with a club that I absolutely love for 17 years.
1: At least we start-
0: resources and increased research.
1: Rainbow, remarkable Oh at least we start the show. This Crunch Time podcast proudly brought to you by iPrimers. Make the right NBN choice with iPrimers, your NBN experts. Call 131-101.